Hello and welcome to Tarot Bites. I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of Tarot No Questions Asked, Mastering the Art of Intuitive Reading and the Tarot Coloring Book. This is episode 187 of Tarot Bites, the podcast where I dish out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on how to read tarot. And for today's episode, we have a very juicy topic. We are talking about yearly cards, and I'm speaking with none other than Mary Kay Greer. Welcome, Mary. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad that you are here to discuss this topic because you wrote the book on birth cards. Um, the book is Who Are You in the Tarot? And this book is, it's been so important for so many of us tarot readers because the concepts in that book really blew my mind when I read it for the first time. And it became the basis of a lot of the work that Shaheen Miro and I did around tarot for troubled times. Um, so it, it's so important um, I think this book is one that a lot of people uh, have found to be very useful, actually. I mean, a very useful tarot book. So, um, and you and I have talked about the birth cards in a previous episode, but let's just go back there and talk about it again briefly before we talk about the yearly cards. Can you explain what the birth cards are and how you came up with this whole concept? Um. Birth cards are the cards that are particular to you based on the month, day, and year you were born in our Western calendar. So it puts us in alignment with the culture that uses that calendar. Um, people say, well, you know, if you had a different calendar, then, you know, it would be totally irrelevant. But we are born in particular space-time and on in this earth. <laughs> so all of these influences are um, affecting us. And this is just one that we can use to get another layer of understanding of who and what we are. So to calculate them, you take the month you were born, the day you were born, and the, the year you were born, and you add those together. You can add them any way you want, and you'll end up if you keep reducing your uh, sum down, which means you add up all the digits um, individually, you'll, you'll reduce it eventually to a single digit number. And that's always the same. Depending on how you add those numbers together, you're going to end up with different intermediate cards. And that is useful um, depending on the system you use. In other words, whatever system you use is going to work for you once you establish within yourself uh, years of experience, months, even months of experience, and start seeing how that flow works. So don't worry that one system of adding is right and one's wrong. Um, it's, it's not that way. The same core single-digit number, which is the same as in numerology, is always going to be that the same, like my birthday, October 14th. I won't mention the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, it adds up to an uh, ultimately to a nine, a hermit. The system that I use for adding, where you it's like a school, um, you know, the old school uh, thing where you put the, the month at the top and uh, the date and then the year underneath, and you add those columns. That way, which is the way I've always used, um, I'm also an 18, so I'm a moon and a hermit. Yes. 18. Right, so because you reduce, one, you reduce 18, one plus, one plus eight is nine. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, that's the reduction that you can keep doing. So people whose birthday adds up to um, a 24, there are, there, oh, 
Then we relate those to the major arcana cards. <laughs> so those numbers equal the cards, just like I said, the moon, hermit. Um, but uh, if your, your sum adds up to a 24, then there is no major arcana card number 24. So you simply reduce two plus four equals six, and that's the lover's card. What becomes interesting though is you say, well, what do I do with that other number and card that I could have gotten if it, instead of adding up to a 24, I was still a six, but it added up to a 15 instead of 24. So one plus five equals six. That gives you a second uh, major arcana card. And some people ignore that if your numbers, if the 15 didn't actually occur in there. Um, I, I feel that it's either overt, in other words, it, it adds up to a 15, or if it doesn't, it's hidden. Mm. And since I am into Jungian psychology, anything that's hidden becomes really rich and juicy. And so we have shadow uh, stuff there. And that's how, for me, it seems to, to work. Um, and that's one of the fun things with using systems like this, is that if you consistently use it, you start finding these patterns within the system that you're working in. And those patterns, for them to start just emerging with new people and so that you can sort of predict that that's going to be their response. Um, when you've got 15, six, you've got the devil and the lovers. Yes. So is it a shadow aspect or is it more overt, overt in your life? If it's a shadow aspect, it tends to come into play much more strongly around your Saturn return and after. It's kind of like it hits you over the head because the Saturn return brings up all that shadow stuff. Yes, I'm coming up to mine very soon. Aha, uh -huh. yes. Those are always really powerful, powerful times. And anything that was hidden comes out. You either reject it totally because you just can't deal with it, in which case you get those lessons more and more harder and harder, or you begin to integrate it and it becomes your greatest teacher. So the devil can actually be in that devil lovers combination, an incredible rich teacher of how to be more devilish, more playful, to not get pulled into all of that uh, you know, shadow, fear, guilt stuff that uh, the devil can imply otherwise. So you become a much uh, freer and more open person and able to relate and to relate to other people by seeing their foibles, their problems with more compassion, more understanding. I so, love that. Yeah. It, and not to keep discovering that over and over again with people is amazing. And the few people that I've run across that have just pushed away the learning, you can see how they're struggling with those issues that they just won't let that in. And they won't acknowledge those kinds of events in their life. And it becomes more and more difficult. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I've only you know dealt with over time a couple of people who really fought the learning. Yeah, they and, don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah, and we get to see it through the uh, birth cards. Yes, we, um, that's the the gift that we have as readers is to be able to help people to recognize uh, these patterns in their life. Well, when you reckon, oh, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, when you recognize the patterns and the family of origin patterns and ancestral patterns, you can break the wheel. That's yeah, the thing. Exactly. And it's also amazing what I was going to say was that um, 
I use it when people come for a full reading, you know, not the 15 minute readings, but usually I do an hour or more. And so I'll go ahead and do the birth cards and the year cards. And I find in the majority of the cases when we finish doing that and I say, and now what's your question? They go, you've just answered it. <laughs> so there seems to be that also the synchronicity of coming at a time uh, for a reading where those big issues in your life have been triggered in some way that are reflected in those birth cards and the year card. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I know that when there is something big going on in my life, I love to go back and look at like the year card or even to look at my astrology chart, see what's going on, what's being impacted right now. Uh, not so I can sit back and act like, oh my God, this horrible thing is happening, but to really figure out how to lean into it and work with the energy. Exactly. They become teachers to us and models the, the, the cards that um, mm -hmm. go with the, with the numbers. And you can actually dialogue with them and ask their advice. Yes. So that to me is um, one of the great benefits of it too. And that's how I learned so much about what those numbers mean. Have, doing it myself, having my students and my clients uh, do that. Dialoguing with those cards just taught me so much. So let's talk now about the personal year. Um, okay. How do you calculate the personal year? Let's let's just go over the math first for people who are listening. Okay, so you take the month you were born, the day you were born, you know, October 14 for me, and then the current year. So the current year would be 2020. Now there is a little bit of um, complication here. Um, that is is not as big as it seems. And that's uh, when I was first learning the system, I learned that um, the, the year card didn't begin until your birthday. Mm. And so um, I went to a bunch of different numerology books, probably you know over a dozen. And I found they fell into two camps. There were numerologists who said that your uh, year number begins in January and those that said your year number begins on your birthday. So I began reading their interpretations and how they looked at it. And what I discovered is that almost universally, the people who emphasized a January beginning focused on um, the events happening to you. So what is it that you're being impacted by? What's uh, forcing you to um, you know, change your style, your method, your um, focus in that year? The people who focused on the year starting in your, your birthday always focused much more on your internal response and reaction to things that were happening. And so it was a little more psychological. It was a little more in depth. It was more like, yeah, you know, how do you handle these things? And so I work with both systems. Uh, the January, as soon as January hits, it's like the world is starting to say, pay attention here. And then on my birthday, it's kind of like I finally go, oh, you mean this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I say birthday, it's really about a month before or after. So there's, you know, a period that's, um, you know, probably up to 30 days on either side where you're kind of getting in tune with that next energy. So the best way to see what works most for you in terms of your own approach to life and world is to look at when your year card switches from a hermit year to a wheel of fortune year. 
because the hermit year is so internalized. It's so much you know, self-reflective, writing in your journal. Um, all your friends suddenly get other partners and friends or leave town or whatever. And you go, who do I go to a movie with? That was before COVID, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, in the old days. Um, so you finally found yourself alone. And then the Wheel of Fortune year kicks in and the Wheel of Fortune, Jupiter expansiveness, um, you know, it, it's this um, lots of things coming to you, new things, new experiences and everything picking up really fast. So it's got that kind of an energy. And so usually you start seeing it immediately in January People start coming back into your life, reconnecting with you. Uh, things start, if, if you were working on a book, try to finish it in your hermit year, because in the Wheel of Fortune year, suddenly it's going to be promote, promote, promote. Um, it's going to be, you know, all kinds of new activities. So it's really hard to get those last completion things done when you're going into new energies. Uh, what happens, though, is you're still internally in your hermit year. So there's this sort of battle between the um, wanting, you know, but I like being alone. I kind of been getting a lot out of this. And the world saying, no, come out. You know, <laughs> there's other things to be do done, new experiences. So those are pretty noticeable. And it along that year, you start going, okay, okay, I can do this. It, uh, it's good being out there again, seeing everybody again, um, doing things. Uh, yeah, we have to get back past this time of all kind of holding up in our homes, but uh, we still have the effects on other levels. It'll be a little more subtle this year. Yes. It's so interesting uh, because I never thought about looking at the yearly cards from I'm born in the middle of the year, I'm born in June, uh, as two separate things. And I think that's really brilliant. And it makes sense because this year I went into a hanged man year. And right off the bat in January, I was in Hawaii for a retreat. And the retreat was very, very important. I came out of that retreat feeling like something needs to change in my life, but what? And then everything felt like it was in an incubation. And as soon as my birthday rolled around, it's like the epiphany came and I started letting go of a whole bunch of things, which is so hanged man. So that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Wow. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, well, that just came from realizing that there were these two different camps among numerologists, and they would yeah. argue all the time. And I'm going, why argue? It's both and. You know, but then how does that work? Yes. Oh, my God, that's so fascinating. Yeah. And that way you kind of get the benefits of both. And it, it, you know, it totally makes sense when I start, as soon as you're talking about that, I'm calculating in my brain how this year has gone for me. That is like, oh, my God, that's exactly what happened in this hangman year. So yeah. that's interesting. So let me ask you this now. Um, mm -hmm. We also have universal years, too. Yes. You know, like we can just use 2020 as a year for the collective. Mm -hmm. So if we use 2020 for the collective, what does that tell us? We're in an emperor year because two plus zero plus two plus zero is four. So it's emperor. What is that telling us about this year? Ah, what does that tell us about this year? <laughs> the importance of emperors, <laughs> everybody turning and looking at the emperors in the world, people who are, um, you know, uh, building uh, 
administering, uh, ordering, uh, lawmaking, um, all of those things. There's a lot of focus on who those leaders are. That's the external world. And um, internally, then for uh, those of us who are dealing with that emperor year, those become teachers for us of either things that we want to do or we don't want to do. And so we can really learn a lot about um, how to own our own power in a year when we observe where, what are the power dynamics and which power dynamics do we really want to um, support? Do we really want to find in ourselves? Because the tendency, especially for women, to give away that kind of emperor power to mm-hmm. someone else, you know, find a husband, a father, a, you know, um, boss, somebody to be that for us. Um, and so the big lesson for women especially is, can we learn to own our own power? In Jungian terms, can we get in touch with that inner masculine and uh, recognize that that's a part of who we are, that we have that um you know, we may choose to call it assertiveness rather than aggression. You know, we still need to own power. Yes. And everybody needs to find where that is in themselves. But we learn it by observing those people in our environment. So all our interactions with people, and it can be male or female, that are ordering, uh, structuring, uh, building, doing um, things, especially out in the world. Um, our emperor manifestations. How do you see it, though? Oh, I see that too. But, you know, I also look at the shadow side. And one of the things I was thinking this year is we're really seeing some wannabe dictators out there. Yes. And I think the shadow side of the emperor is very much the dictator, the person who wants to be in control, wants to um, boss everybody around. And we've been seeing so much of that this year. And I think that that's very interesting. And we're all having to figure out, well, what do we think about authoritarianism? How do we feel about these, quote unquote, strong men taking power and trying to grab more power? And that's one of the ways that I've been like really witnessing it and thinking also, well, how do I show up? I'm a high priestess. How do I show up when there is that kind of energy out there? So that's one of the things that I've been really thinking about a lot this year. Exactly. And we're getting all kinds of models of how that um, power can be handled because of the current circumstances. If we're watching the governors of the states, if we're watching, um, you know, president. (laughs) And I've got friends all around the world because I travel so much for tarot and I've built up these friendships. So I've been checking in pretty regularly and also going and checking the international news to see how other countries are handling this. And it's amazing to see the differences in the the power structures and the leaders, uh, how they come forward when there's, um, well, we've got fires in California. You know, how is that handled in terms of the people who come forward to speak for and give us, you know, evacuation orders. You have to leave now. <laughs> Too bad you can't find your dog and your cat. <laughs> you yes. leave right now. <laughs> and um, those are the people that um, we're either rebelling against or we're acknowledging that there's um, some value in the fact that somebody's standing up there and taking charge and giving these directions that can save lives in many cases. And in some cases, when they don't handle that well, lose lives. 
Yes. And you know, the, the emperor, when he's, when, when the emperor is functioning at their best, they're protective. They yes. take care of the, they protect the realm, I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they are in the shadow energy, then it's again, the dictator. So it's been very fascinating watching that this year, which, you know, leads me to my final question. We are going into a hierophant year in 2021. And that makes me feel some type of way. I'm like, oh my God, the hierophant. Well, could could this be religious rule? Could this be divine order? I mean, what can we expect as a collective in a hierophant year? And how can we show up as the very best version of ourselves? Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things with year cards is that we can always take keywords and themes and project that into the future. We really see how it works when we look into the past. So looking into the future for the Hierophant, there's, um, besides the whole religious thing and, and people, you know, focusing, I go back to the 60s question of how do we question authority? Mm. Um, and even more than the, uh, the emperor, the Hierophant tends to bring up the questioning authority because shoulds and oughts are the key behind all of that Hierophant energy. Um, we get enculturated. The Hierophant is not only religious, it's also educational. And the education systems are the ways in which we, primary ways in which we get enculturated into our society. And they do that by saying this good book, whether it's a school book or um, uh, a, a code book for building or um, a Bible, all of these are telling us the shoulds and the oughts and the do's and the don't do's. And so in the 60s, our whole issue was questioning those things. So we've got the two sides of it. Um, The value of um, the learning that we can get from a guru, spiritual leader, a teacher, um, you know, all kinds of people like that versus learning to think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not really an either or, it's a combination of all of it. It's um, you know learning from the system, seeing where we kind of push up against it. When we do, we become, if we're successful at pushing up against it, at questioning that authority and building a new way of seeing, then the next generation has to come along and push up against that. And so the Hierophant is really, you you see the acolytes in in all the cards, the two people that are kneeling in front, and they're, um, you know, listening to it. But when I asked one woman to kind of enter the card and experience it for herself, and I asked her, her, where are you in the card? And she says, I'm hiding behind the pillar. And that was somebody that instead of, you know, kneeling in front was observing, taking it in, but not wanting to buy into the whole system. So we, we both have to learn from the great teachers, but also be willing to continually question the rightness of those, those things. So not every should needs to be adhered to. (laughs) Well, it's going to be an interesting 2021 because the rules are always meant to be challenged. And I think we are going to definitely, we're already seeing it happen now. And I think 2021, we are certainly going to be seeing people really asking the bigger questions and we'll see who provides the answers. That's going to be the fascinating part. Definitely. So your book is coming out again. They're reissuing it. 
Um, yes. I'm yes, so sir. excited. Yeah, and that's it's on Wiser, and it's coming out in 2021. I think is what I've heard. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And I think you. people are going to want to absolutely add this to their tarot collection. My my copy of it is so dog-eared because <laughs> I've gotten so much use out of it. So I'm so excited to get the new edition, Mary. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that it's held up all this time. Yes, absolutely. It is a classic. It belongs on every tarot reader's shelf, in my opinion. And there's so many people who've been influenced by uh, either the material in it or just the basic concept that we now have rich, rich resources, including work that you've done and so many other people. The Tarot School has done a lot um, with, with it themselves. So there's lots of different uh, people and groups, uh, resources on the internet. I, I really want to um, stress that not every person's voice speaks to every, every other person. And this is such a powerful system, and it works so well that part of uh, it is finding the key for you to see how it works best. Yes. Well, the book, though, I will say, is the foundation. And everything else that comes from that, it's all these little satellites. But that book is the foundation. I think it's one of the most important books in tarot. So I'm just really grateful that you came up with it, that you wrote this, and that Wiser's bringing it back out uh, and reissuing it because it's a classic that absolutely stands the test of time and has been such a massive influence in my work and the work that Shaheen and I've done. So once again, thank you so much, Mary, for writing that book. And I do want to thank Angelise Arian. Yes. first taught me the system. And she never wrote a book specifically on that the whole system, but um, she was the impetus. Uh, I learned from her in, I think it was 1976, 77, um, that I started just plunged into this and started doing all kinds of research based on it, you know, looking up, reading tons of biographies and autobiographies to see how these numbers worked in people's lives. Yeah, so I owe it all to Angelie Zarian, who wrote a book called The Tarot Handbook. She yes. died. Yeah. Well, we, we owe both you and Angelis Arian. Uh, we are just so indebted because, again, that this whole concept is so, so amazing. So thank you. And thank you, Angelis Arian, mm -hmm. for influencing it and planting the seed and you taking that seed then and growing it into something amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. So Mary, if people want to get to know more about you, where can they find you? I'm on Facebook. So just Mary Kay Greer. Uh, I'm, I've got a blog. It's not a full website. I just keep it simple for a blog. And I haven't been posting on very often, but there's tons and tons and tons of old material there. So that's at uh, MaryKayGreer.com. And um, let's see, Facebook. I'm on Instagram uh, occasionally. Um, that's, that's mostly it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I recommend that people look you up and also make sure that you all, if you're listening, get copies of all of Mary's books. In fact, in my latest book, I had to laugh. I was looking at my bibliography and I'm like, well, this is like pretty much Mary Greer, Rachel Pollock, and that's almost it. <laughs> Your books well, have both done such an influence. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And you're doing such amazing stuff yourself. Your um, book that's about to come out, how, how many books is that for you now? This is book number four. 
Whoa. <laughs> yes. And then I, I have the commentary for Shaheen's latest deck coming out and I'm working on two new projects for next year. And I'll have to keep that under wraps and tell you that on the down low. So we can't let anybody else here who's listening know what's going on. <laughs> well, that means that we're all sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for it. <laughs> Excellent. I, I hope so. All right. Well, thank you, Mary, for joining me and for everyone who's listening. This wraps up this episode of Tarot Bites. And I want you to remember that you can check out lots more tarot goodness on my website, thetarolady.com. I've got free tarot and astrology lessons, tons of books, hundreds of blog posts, astrological forecasts, so many other good things for you to scope out. Enjoy. And I want to thank you again for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. And by the way, if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor get on over to iTunes and leave a kind review because that helps more tarot-curious people find their way to tarot bites. And as always, I like to close out by saying, pay close attention to your intuition throughout your day and let it guide you into making brave, excellent choices. Remember that you are always in the driver's seat of your life. You are in charge of your decisions, your plans, the action steps that you take or don't take. You're the boss. And if you don't like where your life is headed right now, well, you can change that. Nothing is ever fixed in stone. The tarot cards tell a story, but you write the ending.